So welcome to It's Not All About The Numbers, the leadership podcast that doesn't just focus on the bottom line. Hello, I am Chris and that is Mike. Hi everyone. And today our co-host is Gavin Freeguard. One, one second. Oh, I've lost my notes. Ah. Perfect start. <laughs> so what you've what what you've missed, Gavin, is the pep talk I got from Chris just before you joined about helping minimise the amount of editing he's got to do. And fortunately, <laughs> today it's not me that's caused the editing requirement. But actually, some, something like this makes it easy because you can't edit that out. I mean, that's that's great fun. No, um, we'll obviously leave it in. So <laughs> I'll uh, and yeah, point made. I've got to stop lecturing people about um, you know Wi-Fi connections and how prepared they need to be because I clearly am not taking my own advice. But uh, <laughs> co-hosts Gavin Gavin Freeguard, uh, data and digital policy advisor, musician, and shanty singer, and we'll we'll come on to that. Uh, but welcome, Gavin. Thank you very much. Hello, everyone. So this week, uh, Mike, how's your week been? It's been a home-based week this week. It's been good. Um, it's been nice that it's not been raining, firstly. Bit of weather where I can actually get out. Um, I've been getting into the planning system and the project I'm working on with data standards and the planning system. So a bit of data governance, IPR, that kind of stuff, all good. The, the, the bad news, which is linked to my kind of um, recharge, is I've lost my streak of doing 10,000 steps in a day. I managed to do 38 days of 10,000 steps in a day streak and i was short by 225 steps on tuesday gutted so that's that's is this bad, bad data, data. Is this bad, bad data? data sounds like bad data what are you using to track it on are you uh spreadsheet I've a, paper i've got well garmin watch and my garmin watch connects to the cloud somewhere so some corporate is scraping where i am what i'm doing at all times exactly they know way too much about you it's fine so uh gavin you you obviously have uh, a very interesting role uh, working with lots of people in government. How's your your week been? Ah, uh, good, thanks. Yeah, work wise, I think getting back into the swing of it and doing a little bit with everyone, my my various sort of big clients. So those at the moment are the Institute for Government, uh, the Open Data Institute, and Connected by Data. So have have been working from home, but have been into central London a few times, which would have been impossible had the had the tube strikes gone ahead. Been to a couple of interesting work related events. There was the um, one of the cabinet office ministers, Alex Berghart, talking all about how they're deploying AI in government, which involved a surprising amount of Anglo Saxon history. Because um, apparently he he um, started asking ChatGPT about the outcomes of various battles in the uh, sort of late seven um, hundreds, I think, and that's when he lost faith in ChatGPT, which I thought was actually quite an interesting grounded start. We 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 get used to politicians getting overexcited about deploying AI, but um, I thought he was much more sensible and measured uh, in what he was saying. I mean, let's hope that feeds through to government policy in some way, which it doesn't always. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like like Mike also um, thinking a bit about exercise. I mean, it's still early enough in the new year that New Year's resolutions should, should be going well. So I've been exercising more than I think I probably did in certain months in total last year. So uh, uh, make it make sure I'm walking uh, where I can, but also getting out for a few runs and bought a cheap exercise bike as well. And uh, my my way of making sure that I do that um, of an evening is I can only watch Taskmaster, which I've finally started watching properly if I'm on the exercise bike. So that's quite a good uh, incentive like I'm finding to, to get that going. So And that's how you uh, recharge after listening to ministers and their AI history lessons. It's uh, on the bike with a bit of Taskmaster. 
I'd like to say yes, but if I'm being honest, last night after going to that event, I met a couple of friends for a drink. So that was that was probably more <laughs> useful for recharging. Nothing wrong, nothing wrong with that. That's what it's all about. I think that's what a lot of people are missing as well. So um, great. Um, my week. Yeah, I'm still off the booze. Uh, similar, trying to kick kick things off. I have just come back from a run and I am ah, a little bit uncomfortable. It's fair to say. You know, that's, my... not the, that's not the word you've got in your notes. Yes, yes. It sounds like um, <laughs> bucked, but not. <laughs> but I, uh, yeah, I was about as pink as our logo. Um, and I've got a bit of a toe issue as well. But I was determined to do it and I did it. And it's pretty difficult getting these things in, in the schedule on a day um, daytime. So, yeah, I'm pleased with myself. Work-wise, uh, yeah, started the year really strong, actually. Kicked off um, a couple of our partnerships uh, for this year. Uh we're going to have to go there, I think. Um, the post office. Yeah. Now, this story's been around for a very long time, but it's sort of caught the national mood uh, over the last week. And then, as politicians do, they follow the uh, public line, uh, the po popular line, and, and they seem to have been responding finally. You know, first of all, what's your sort of take on that situation from our sort of point of view around transformation and digital transformation and change and technology. I, the first thing that goes up in my, so there's been lots of conversation about this is this week. So there's lots of commentary. And, but I think the thing that's really stuck out for me is what is the actual story here really? So uh, implementing a new IT system that doesn't quite work as planned or doesn't, isn't as successful as initially hoped is not an unusual story. You know, there's been plenty of those that have happened, certainly government IT systems that have been implemented over the years. I actually think that the, the big story here is the reaction, what happened within the post office and within government when it became slowly clear of, of what was going on. And that that's effectively the organisational denial that there was a problem and then doubling down and tripling down and quadrupling down, if even if that's even a thing, on, on that denial. So... You know, trans transformations don't always work. So implementing a new accounting and accounting system for the post office was always going to be tricky. But the reaction and this kind of like the statements that came out that when somebody was reporting a problem, it's like, well, you're the only person that's got a problem. You're probably the you're probably an idiot. Being the the, the kind of response that for me has been the real shocker. The people that really hurting the people in this kind of implementation. Gavin, what's your take? You know, I know that you're working a bit closer to the government, so uh, don't say anything that's going to uh, cause offence. But, you know, what, what what's your take on this? Well, I mean, everything Mike said to start with, I, I think so one of the big things that I'm doing at the moment with um, Connected by Data is that we're convening lots of civil society organisations to start thinking about what data and AI policy should look like and, and making sure that it's something which serves the public rather than just you know, a certain number of big companies and you know government being able to accidentally um, cause harm. So in a sense, this whole shocking sort of omni-shambolic catastrophe, I think, has brought a lot of those issues to the fore. As, as Mike was saying, you know, we get technology failures, but I think with this, we can really see the human suffering that's been involved and so much of the human failure around it. I mean, as you said, Mike, you know, this is this is how people reacted to it. Um, this was people you know, having blind faith um, to begin with in thinking that computer systems can solve everything. We know that they don't do that. We're seeing a lot of rhetoric around that and AI at the moment um, and the hope that 
oh, you know, AI is going to solve all of these problems. Well, it might help us solve some of these problems, but we need to start getting down into the detail of how it's going to do that a lot more quickly, because it's not just, um, you know, benefits that might come from this sort of deployment. There are also real harms. We've seen that in the case of uh, the case of the postmasters, where. I mean, it's it's just all harm, really, yeah. isn't it? I mean, the, the one one element that has sort of come through, I think, is that incredible bit of legal um, evidence guidance, which says that I mean, obviously there are lots of things that went wrong, but the fact that if computer evidence is given in court, it's assumed that the computer is operating correctly at the time. Yeah. Um, and therefore, people having to prove that this computer system, which obviously was not transparent, they were not able to get hold of records even about their own transactions, they had to prove that it wasn't working properly. It's crazy. Um, it's great. And you just, you know, you also said earlier about, you know, the uh, the AI bot getting the history wrong, right? But actually, if that was presented as fact, then right now, a judge would take it as fact. That's the way that the law is set up. So, yeah, that has to change. But I, just going back a little bit, though, Mike, to your comment, right? This is a very common problem, right? We test and we find flaws and then we, you know, test again. And most people would call it, you know, user acceptance testing or something like that. What, what's what's gone wrong here? You know, like why would you ignore the user when they say there's a problem? Well, I suppose there's a couple of things in that. Um, the first thing is when this all started. So this all started, you know, the, the, the procurement for this was in the late 90s. And in the late 90s, there weren't many massive national computer systems such as this being implemented. The complexity was kind of unknown at the time. Um, so there's, there's this assumption back then, kind of like you were mentioning with AI right now, you know, this, this assumption back then that a digital system will fix this. So the, the, there's that. And... and Computers back then, like AI now, were magic. We'll, we'll, we'll have some. We'll have this computer system. It will do this thing that's taken us hundreds of years to work out how to do. It will just do it. It will be magic. And I think that one of the reasons that the people weren't believed and uh, and the people that we were asking to implement and use this system were not people that were used to using computers. They were postmasters who had worked in this paper environment, and we were saying, yeah. "Here you go. Here's this technology." So. It would be very easy for them when reporting an issue or reporting is to not sound competent about the technology themselves. You can see how that could happen. But equally, for somebody that's built the system, to be, you can see how they'd be slightly patronising to somebody who's never worked in technology. So you can you can kind of, it's not an excuse for it, but you can kind of see back then why it would have happened like that. And also the project wouldn't have been necessarily iterative in a way that we'd expect users to be engaged and and user research to be done and projects to be iterative as they are now, more so now. It would have been, we'll build this behind a closed wall and we'll just implement it on you and you've just got to work out how it works. So there's a few. I was just going to say that the I, I would call it an accounting system, you know, and I think that's part of the problem in this acceptance that accountancy has been around forever and debits and credits and, and you know, balances and checks are pretty easy to bring in to an accounting system right you know debits and credits and all that t accounts so <laughs> it's like i understand actually why the um, horizon and fujitsu and the support would have actually have said you know th th you must be wrong because actually the fundamental principles of accounting that are within this system have been around for hundreds of years um but what i don't understand is when there is a number of people saying it 
and how that wasn't sort of somehow surfaced and and raised and actually over the last week there's been a lot from you know post office leadership and government leadership but i haven't seen an awful lot from the technology provider fujitsu and i think that is a massive issue because it was the system the accounting system that was actually flawed you know um and people reacted badly and they managed it badly but actually the 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 failure was on that side of things yeah i mean just on the on the point of you know how had this happened to so many people and nobody really noticed i mean it, it feels like there are sort of two aspects to that one is that um the thing i was going to say mike mentioned sort of cultures it feels like if there's a bit of a culture clash in that we now associate a lot of digital uh, and sort of data related development with quite an open culture whereas actually the, the main cultural story here and I'm, I'm sure the inquiry will say much more about this but you can see it coming through really clearly in for instance um nick wallace's book about the the whole thing is you know quite a closed um culture within the post office that saw protecting the brand um as the the sort of key thing that it needed to do you know a trusted national institution they had to maintain that um, and therefore that actually led them down a path which ultimately might destroy that brand um altogether but the second and in a sense more prosaic and i suppose more data related story and something which happens so often there's a there's a great line in the the nick wallace book where he sort of mentions at one point well actually the criminal review um compensation authority and um, started looking to see how many cases there might be how many people might be affected and they went asking the ministry of justice and justice select committee and you know, the legal system and of course nobody'd been counting how many private prosecutions the post office was bringing on this and that really basic or what should have been a really basic piece of information that doesn't even get into the more complicated numbers about trying to monitor the impact of these sorts of decisions on communities and on people that really basic information that might have given that away earlier just wasn't being collected by anyone they needed a good bit of visualization didn't they you know <laughs> that would have changed might have helped. Yeah. <laughs> um mike any last comment on that before we move on final comment just coming back to something you said chris is i'm not I'm not sure we have actually heard that much from the government or from the post office leadership this week at all about this. There's been lots of batting it off saying we've got an inquiry. We can't really say anything till the inquiry delivers. The government's done some really quick, quick fix kind of statements on on will exonerate everybody. But there's no real comment on this is the systematic problem. Um, for, and Fujitsu, I mean, Fujitsu is still the supplier and the system that's still used in the post office is the Horizon system. Um, so it, it's almost like we're talking about something that happened, but it's still there. So I, there's, there's definitely some quest, still quest, questions to be answered. And I can't imagine that given the, the, the what's going on at the moment, it's going to go away anytime soon. And just picking up on that, I think thinking about the government response, another sign that they're not really grasping the systemic nature of, of this and how they need to be preparing for the future. Obviously, it's right at the moment that they're thinking mainly about compensation and washing convictions and things like that. But at the same time as the government is saying, well, we're acting on this now. They're pushing through the data protection and digital information bill, which reduces our rights around this stuff even further. It takes away the uh, need to consult workers when you're rolling out new technology in the workplace. That's something that might have helped stop this 
in the first place. Um, it's making it more difficult to make subject access requests, the sorts of requests that might have given you know, postmasters more data, more detail about the data that was held on them. And in general, just relaxing the data protection requirements at a time when we may be seeing more thoughtless rolling out of more complicated and more complex automated systems. So I, I think it would be quite helpful if we started joining up those two different narratives to think about, well, how do we avoid this? How do we avoid a robo-debt scandal as they've seen in Australia or the child benefit scandal that they've seen with automated decisions in the Netherlands? How, how, how do we stop these things happening again? And we haven't quite got there yet. Maybe once the inquiry is reported, um, we will. But there is a big piece of legislation going through at the moment, which might be done by then. Well, that is a beautiful segue because uh, maybe we need a national data strategy or something along those lines. And uh, I have to say, Gavin, Mike shared with me uh, your sea shanty. I'm so sorry. <laughs> All about the national data set. Um, I, I loved it uh, on many levels. Uh, I am a, a shower singer. Uh, I'm not as brave as you. Um, but yeah, it was brilliant. So, you know, t tell me more about that. That was seemed like a great bit of um, work. Thank you. So um, where where that sort of came from? Um, so one of the things that I do is present a monthly-ish event series at the Institute for Government called Data Bytes, which will have been running for five years and 50 events when we get to this April, uh, which makes me feel very old. Um, and the whole idea behind that is that um, there's lots of there's actually lots of good work uh, going on in government around data. Can we give those people a platform to talk about it? Um, they get eight minutes to talk about what they're doing. There are eight bits in a byte, hence eight minutes in a data byte. Terrible joke somehow has lasted five years. Um, but that does also mean that I have eight minutes at the start um, to introduce things. And I, I think something that's informed my approach to talking about data in government is so often you'll go to an event or so often you used to go to an event about data and it would just be death by PowerPoint. People who didn't know how to present data get into really dull stuff very, very quickly when actually this stuff is really important and actually quite interesting and actually quite exciting. So my, my introductions to, to those events tend to have a few jokes with charts and <laughs> obviously there's been quite a lot to joke with when you've got record numbers of ministerial resignations and all that sort of thing. Um, so the, the National Data Strategy Sea Shanty, well, sort of came from uh, the fact that at that point in our sort of pandemic lockdown madness, uh, the Weller man uh, was doing the rounds uh, and, you know, sort of hitting the charts. Yeah, um, yeah. And I, I Where are they, they now? Where are they now? Quite. You know? <laughs> but but it's, a, it's a very good question. Um, so I think at that point, which would have been early 2021, I think the, the national data strategy had come out um, in September 2020, um, something that um, we'd sort of called for at the IFG and thought it was quite important to have some sort of vision one of the things in there was calling for a chief data officer which has still not been permanently appointed and there have been several attempts since about 2015 i think to refill that position it's not happened so for, for some reason in my very strange mind those different threads um came together and i was sort of idly thinking a few days before that particular data bites maybe a, maybe i should do a sea shanty and maybe i should do it about the national data strategy and the need for a you know soon will the weller man come becomes soon will the chief data officer come and and it just seemed to spiral from there. And I, I it got it. to the point where I thought, you know, it's going to be more difficult not to do this now that it's in my mind. So let's let's try and let's try and do it and see what happens. And um, I, I think 30 plus thousand views for a Twitter video on the national data strategy possibly counts as viral in a very niche sort of way. 
That's I think it's brilliant. And like as you say, it's about, you know, some of this stuff can on the face of it be quite dry, right? And and we struggle with this all the time, right? Mike and I talk a lot about um, you know, digital transformation, data technology, where you know, data is a four-letter word. We're quite boring. Is that what you're saying, Chris? No, no, no. I'm saying we're inspiring, Mike, because we take these subjects (laughs) and we turn them on their heads. And, you know, it's it's hard. It is hard to. But I think that sort of engagement is is brilliant. Um, And you're also very right, and I share your passion, that this is something that we should all be getting excited about. Um, We should all be being part of. And... It's shaping our future, so uh, I'm, I'm very. I, I'm going to borrow any ideas. I quite like the eight minutes um, for the eight bytes uh, piece as well. I mean, do, do it. The, the the more the more the merrier. We've uh, we've heard of lots of people adopting that sort of um, short format, and that that in itself came from that sort of great moment of digital transformation in government because you'd suddenly get invited to these show and tells where people be doing quick presentations over lunch or bring people together from across departments and the the whole idea sort of grew from from there as well well i think chris might have i think frozen. chris i think chris has frozen this was the 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 comment he made on the wi-fi earlier was there was a session he was running earlier in the week and the wi-fi in the office dropped out yeah. um so we'll, we'll keep going. I, um, I haven't forgotten that we talked about me coming on the data bite stuff years ago, and I still haven't, even though you've had 50 of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we we might actually have one um, on the sort of intellectual property um, governance type side um, coming up. So you you are, I mean, you're on my list anyway, but yeah. uh, that would be particularly Excellent. timely, I think. I'm, I'm back again. Um, you know, what other things are you doing? So I am doing uh, a lot of work. Well, we're also at the IFG. We're currently thinking about um, what more we should be doing on artificial intelligence in government. Um, and again, I think hope, hopefully bringing that level of government expertise to thinking about how the technology could be deployed and where it shouldn't be deployed in making government better rather than sort of starting with the tech, um, as it were. Uh, with Connected by Data, doing lots of work um, with people in civil society to think about the future of data and AI policy, trying to improve that data protection and digital information bill um, that I mentioned earlier, which <laughs> improvement might involve trying to stop it get, getting any further. Um, but I think also, obviously, we're almost certainly in an election year, trying to support politicians and the policy ecosystem to think more about data and AI, data and AI and digital policy, and take that more seriously. And if <clears throat> I think if we achieve nothing else other than saying, well, actually, you have policy choices here. You don't have to do um, what feels technologically inevitable. You don't have to just listen to one set of voices from a particular sector of industry. There's a lot more out there in terms of ideas and how you could use all of this stuff to to properly serve the public. And um, I think you know, just getting that across would be would be useful. I was going to come in on that. So you've done a lot of stuff with politicians over over the years and worked looked at the legislation. How, how lit, data literate and AI literate do you think the politicians are? I mean, you mentioned earlier about the uh, the, the historical use of the historic historical accuracy of AI, and depending on your answer to how literate do you think they are, what impact do you think that that's having on policy and legislation? 
I think the diplomatic answer is probably we still have some way to go, I think, in terms of um, data and AI literacy. I mean, that's not to say that there haven't been improvements. There are definitely some members of parliament and quite a lot of people in the civil service uh, and the senior echelons of the civil service um, that are trying to and now have some of the support to get their heads around some of these topics. But we we still don't have that many MPs who've been in sort of digital data AI facing jobs. You don't need everybody in the house to have done that, but you know the unit of delivery is the team, uh, as it were. So if if you can get some different disciplines in there and people who have got expertise in this area into the house, I think that would be really good. And obviously in in the senior civil service as well, we've still not seen people who've come through the digital and data tracks getting to the very top. Um, And I think that's very important for modelling behaviour as well as just having those voices um, in those sort of senior um, decision-making spaces. I think, you know, last year, generative AI has kind of forced people to have to get up to speed with this. The problem is there's so much hype. There are so many complexities to the debate. There's a there's a George Orwell quote that I kept reaching for quite a lot last year, which um, he used about left-wing politics in the early 40s, but I think it applies to AI policy discussions. So much of it is people playing with fire without realising that fire is hot. Yeah, <laughs> because you can quite easily intervene in a discussion about AI policy and think you're saying something sensible. But of course, because of everything that's come before, you're suddenly aligning yourself with people who only care about existential risk or people who are very uh, beholden to, to particular companies. There, there, there's a lot of nuance and it's quite difficult to get into that, even if you've been following some of the debates um, quite closely. So it's a it's a fast evolving field and it's quite a complicated one. So I don't, I don't envy people um, trying to throw themselves into it. And, you know, all of us in data policy are now in AI policy. I, I sometimes feel a bit imposter syndrome at times. Um, I think there's, there's a similar. So I think there's a similar issue, you know, in in corporates and business. You know, I've um, funny enough, I, I was talking oh, a couple of years ago with your friends at the ODI, Open Data Institute, about the board level knowledge when it comes comes to data in general. But now, you know, replace keyword for Gen AI for whatever and you've got you've got a lack of knowledge there for sure and i think you're right you know people have seen the change happen within their teams within their personal lives and then they start to sort of make that change by stealth they they don't necessarily want to be focused on it but i think they feel that they have to be but there is a there is a real issue here that you know legislation is struggling to keep up with technology that we had a discussion about this last week and it's almost like the wild west out there when it comes to use of gen ai you know i created a um a gpt and it's now public in the open ai store and i know that there's a lot of people in my profession who are starting to use it and th- their bosses have no idea how their data is being used how it's being used how those you know outcomes are being used within the business you know because they're as you said earlier you know the these sort of computer outputs are being treated as facts right so it's like if i get someone giving me some advice now is it actually their advice is it based on experience is it based on some aggregated sort of large language model that may or may not be true you know it's a minefield 
Totally. And I, I think, and I think the sort of data literacy, which is for good reasons, not a, an uncontested term in itself, but let's stick with it for now. That data literacy has to extend to those sorts of things. It's understanding where the data is going and how it is being treated by the system. You don't necessarily need to know the ins and outs of every technical specification for the system, but it's having that sort of knowledge, which I think is is going to be really important. And, and going back to what you were saying about, um, you know, boards and, and politicians. I think part of the problem we have there as well is a cultural one, which is, I think humility is a great quality in in a leader. It's quite difficult, especially in British politics, to show that sometimes. like it, It's very difficult to say, well, actually, I don't know the answer to this. I would really welcome some support in understanding this because it's taken to be a sign of weakness. Well, and we, I think that- We had an AI summit. We are experts, aren't we? <laughs> But it was a, it was very specific that AI summit. So may, maybe we're experts on very very specific things, but which which we're not uh, either necessarily. But um, yeah, and it's all about that move to a much more open culture and sort of you know, being comfortable with what we're still trying to work out on 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 the legislation point as well. I feel like we're not really have even having the conversation about that. I mean, how do we support our regulatory system? How do we support our legislation to to try and deal with this? You know, the, the answer from um, DSIT, the Department for Science, Innovation and Technology around um, aspects of this seems to be, well, things are moving so quickly. So we just need to give the Secretary of State more powers so they can act really quickly when some of these issues come up. So that's that's yeah. not an, that's not a good answer. Yeah. Or may, may, maybe it's the best answer, but how will we know? I mean, it's not. But how will we know if we don't even think about these things? You know, how, how is that pace of change? How should that pace of change affect our parliament? works how does it affect the skills that we need in parliament in government in the media and um, you know how, how do we deal with all of this and we're not necessarily having that conversation and it comes back to the point around around literacy and having having the 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 ability to have the conversations because you can't even propose the right legislation or the right policies unless you can have the right conversations and at a moment what i see is that we're not having the right conversations to even start the journey so you, you we're going to constantly be in this situation where the the rules are lagging behind if we don't have that investment in the the i, I take your point about the term but the literacy yeah yeah, and I, I think, you know, everything that you said, Gavin, you know, the the word government is interchangeable with, you know, business and industry, right? It mm-hmm. everyone is going through this change. Um and it's still evolving. So uh yeah, I share I share your pain. We share your pain. Um so look, at this point we we tend to ask um a question uh to our to our guest, our co-host. And um, if you are interested in sending us a question, question that you'd like us to answer, then send your questions to podcast at generationcfo.com who produced this or reach out to Mike and myself via uh, LinkedIn is probably best. And this week we've got a question which um, came from our lunch and learn actually that we had this week, which is quite interesting. And this kind of goes to show that this is a shared issue This is a finance community, a a business finance community. But the question is, we talk a lot about digital transformation being an end-to-end role. So where does the role fit in your organization? And I think it's, you know, a lot of people are sort of, who owns data? You know, do you want to own data? Who owns systems sometimes can be clear, but actually who owns transformation? It's wholesale change. 
Sure. Shall I go? Shall I go first? <laughs> go for it, because that that is a challenging question. <laughs> so, so my my take on it is is there's there's two bits to it. So quite often within organisations, you you identify the need for a change for a given reason. Um, and if you've identified need for a change, you might implement a project or a program of work to make that change or that transformation happen. So therefore, you end up with like a project team that's going to that's going to do a transformation activity, be it identify process changes that need to happen, identify organizational changes that need to happen, implement a technology, whatever it may be. So so those project management, program management roles would logically see if, if you're talking about digital transformation, they'd logically see it in a digital function which might be part of the it technical function it might be a more specific data function so there's that angle but then the other angle is i think what we're talking about really is transformation is is a people thing across an organization and actually there is no specific role that should have transformation in it every role should have some element of of a transformation and transformational change so I think you've got the, the two sides there. Um, you can have that kind of active program of, of activity, but your community within your organization needs to pick up across from across the organization who are your change agents, who are the, the people that will enable and buy into the change and be your advocates. So I, I'm not sure if that's a specific answer to that question, but I, I think it's the way of thinking that we need to have when we're talking about transformational change. I think that's right. Though the challenge that and you know transformation is for everybody, but I think the challenge that comes with that is that if everyone's responsible, then nobody's responsible. And you know, even in small organisations, get, getting that balance right between. I sometimes think about it as the kind of data expertise versus the domain expertise in that if you've got an organization that wants to get better at using data, which of course is in itself plural, and we're talking about lots of completely different things, which requires lots of different expertise. But if you're trying to use data better as an organization, well, actually, you need people in there who've got the slightly more advanced data skills or whose job it is to keep some focus on that particular specialism. But if you're not properly linking into the domains that you're actually working in the things that you're actually trying to deliver and uh, those things become divorced then ultimately you're not going to drive the change so it, it's it is it, just complicating it rather than actually answering the question um but trying to get that balance <laughs> right between the, the specialist expertise and the the generalist this is actually for everyone I, I think is a really difficult challenge yeah i think you know some of the research we've talked about in the past is is some of the keys to success is how clear the the vision is actually around the transformation that you're trying to make which you know points to the people centric approach that you're talking about and for me that that is business focused and board led um and then i think the the rest in a way it doesn't matter as long as you're getting that done um it depends on the culture of your organization but i think that the it's like where does that cdo sit you know it's back to your point you know if you recruit a chief data officer or if you're recruiting someone you know it would be great if everyone had a transformational mindset on your board but you know that's not happening right so you know if they sit on the board the communication's clear the vision's clear and then you know you've got good changed transformation people around you then i think um you know you're halfway there but and a similar thing we were asked around you know where should data sit and where should analytics sit in the business and again it doesn't really matter as long as you're fulfilling what the business need um needs 
but at the same time it has to be linked to the business because if it is just a tools initiative or an it initiative likelihood is the engagement is going to be low so um, just wrapping think, those wrapping those two up sorry Gary, wrapping those two up i think what you're what you're saying is there is a need for somebody to be accountable but there is no one size fits all this is the person that should be accountable and i think that 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 for me that for me is the, the difference i don't think there's a recipe to transformation i think there's some things that you need but it's not like do this then do this then do this then change and it will be very different different in different contexts and i think yeah. what helps navigate that which i think we've all touched on in some way is is community within your organization but also beyond your organization you know one, one of the great things about working in the sort of digital and data policy field is that there are lots of great people at different organizations who come to these questions with slightly different perspectives and care about certain issues. But knowing that you've got other people who are grappling with the same things that are approaching it slightly differently, um, that you can talk to for support, that you can get ideas from, I think that's incredibly important as well and just emphasizes you know, that it is a team sport. It's, it's not, you're not going to get the, the rock star transformations a guru who can come in and solve everything this is something that has to get buy-in from across the entire organization and you can go beyond the organization to understand how best to do it as well good stuff you know, good stuff you know i'm saying I, i'm just taking from that last statement that I, I need to cross out from my aspirations rock star transformation guru <laughs> That's not don't be a rock star mike they're rubbish at decision making <laughs> um and you know if Ozzy Osbourne turns up to my consulting meeting, I'd be a little bit concerned. So conscious of time. Um, so wrapping up with uh, our good data, bad data. So um, we tend to focus on various bits and bobs. We've decided we've defined this in in other podcasts. So you know, go and listen back if you're interested in what this section is all about. Uh, but Mike, kick us off with some good data. So I've gone for for an extreme not not data one today or or not not traditional data. So I've gone with the uh, something I saw on Instagram: ten names for a workmate, um, which which comes from uh, which I'll share on my LinkedIn after this. But uh, I really like this. There's a few that I'm going to pick out. So there's there's, there's Shania, um, who doesn't impress you much. Um, there's somebody at work. There's somebody at work called Tesla who works for one day then needs to recharge. Um, and then there's MasterCard uh, takes credit for other people's work. Um, but there's ten of these. I'll, I'll share. I'll love share it. them. Um, but yeah, that that really made me laugh this week. I love that. And that is data. You know, if you're labelled with any of those uh, names, then that is that is data. Um, I did. I did quite enjoy Del Dolphin, intelligent but can't speak to humans um, as well. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. So um, bad data. So. Gavin, you almost stole my thunder, actually. Um, we, it shows how unscripted and unplanned this is. But um, my bad data this week is going back to the, the post office uh, debacle. And it was your point, actually, around the law is wrong on this at the moment and that the bad data is around the, the law. Um, Computer-based evidence at the moment is taken as fact by the judge. And that has to change. And it definitely has to change in a Gen AI world. Um, we have people presenting an output that is never right, right? It's only, you know, how wrong is it? That's the way we need to think about this stuff. Um, they're presenting it as fact. 
And there's a concern if this evidence starts to make its way into the judicial system, judges take it as fact, you know, they're, they're not Gen AI experts, they're law experts. And um, that is bad data. So if anything, you know, well, I hope that a lot more comes out of this this case, but um, definitely the law ch- needs to change in this area uh, because it's only going to come more and more of an issue. Any, I don't want to put you on the spot, but uh, you know, any good or bad data? Like, Gav, I hear you're quite into your um, your visualization. Uh, I I am. Um, so yeah, again, spent probably over a decade now turning uh, various bits of potentially boring stuff about government into uh, into pretty charts and in some cases into weird music um as well as so sonification as uh, as well as visualization but I, I think this week i mean my, my bad data was absolutely around the post office um horizon scandal um as well but i do hope that if this isn't too cheesy i think that, i hope that there is a good data in there as well which is that this sort of warning is something that we really need to act on and actually if we can find a better way of talking about this and thinking about well okay how do we make the most of technology without leading to these sorts of harms um then maybe there is a silver lining there which is obviously far too late for a lot of the people who were caught up in this particularly awful scandal yeah yes absolutely there's a ton of lessons to be learned and uh let's make sure that we do we do learn them so that's it for this week. Um, I I just have one shout out this week, and this is actually very self-serving. Uh, um, I am looking for a keynote speaker to join us um, at the London Stock Exchange uh, in London on the 14th of March. Um, we're going to be sort of debriefing the budget a little bit. Um, there was a lot of talk in the last statement around it being a growth statement, and I'm quite keen to uh, unpick that and see whether maybe a growth CFO or a growth um, board member, board growth company board member can come along and uh, keynote what they're thinking uh, about the budget statement and the the last growth statement. So um, if you are interested, uh, then do reach out to me. Um, you can contact me via LinkedIn or uh, yeah, podcast at generationcfo.com. And uh, thank you very much for your insight this week, Gavin. It was great. And uh, I really appreciate everything that you're doing to sex up this rather dry image. So um, thank you for being part of today. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Uh, so that's thank you from me. And thank you, Mike. Thanks, everyone. And remember, it's not all about the numbers. Mm-hmm.